Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. Good morning, everyone. Hello. We are here. This is so good. So good to be here with you, especially during this most wonderful time of the year. Isn't it so good to be in church? I love it. I love it. Well, I want to give a big thank you to Pastors George and Suzanne for inviting me to participate in this Christmas sermon series that begins today. This should be a lot of fun. Four parts, four speakers each Sunday in December that I trust will bless you and your family tremendously. The other speakers and I, we're going to each take a different angle on this title right here, The Greatest, because truly, Jesus is the greatest. Amen? Jesus is the greatest. In fact, he is the greatest in a myriad of ways, and he is the reason why the Christmas season is so great. Amen? So today, my goal is to point you to him so that you may know that in hearing his voice and doing as he did, you can find this wholeness that will carry you through all of life's highs and lows, unlike anything else this world has to offer. So we're going to take a look at one specific signature theme about Jesus that he provided all of humanity when he was born in the manger one that he carried with him throughout his life and his public ministry, and one that he had to remind his disciples about again right before his death in one last conversation that he had with them at the Last Supper. So today, we're going to highlight this truth about Jesus. Jesus is the greatest servant. Let me pray. Jesus, we honor you. We recognize that what you did in coming to the earth served us so well. We love you. We bless you. We lean into your word in this moment to receive what you have for us. We bless you now in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. All right, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 22. Uh, The notes are in the Bible app if you use that, or they'll be provided for you on the screen. Um, I want to set the scene for you here at the Last Supper, especially surrounding this particular conversation that the disciples are having. having. So this talk that they're having takes place in the middle of Jesus' final week of life on earth. Okay, which is also called Passion Week or Holy Week. On the Christian calendar, this week begins with Palm Sunday, with Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And then it ends with Resurrection Sunday, where Jesus rose from the grave after his death, also known as Easter Sunday. So this passage here in Luke chapter 22, we're in the middle of that week. Okay, you guys with me? We're in the middle of that week, and Jesus and his 12 disciples are enjoying dinner. And just so that we are clear, this is also the most significant dinner in all of human history. 
You know why? Because not only is Jesus uh, enjoying his last supper that he'll have while he's alive, he himself is the Passover lamb sitting there enjoying the Passover meal, which commemorated the shedding of a lamb's blood that got splashed on doorposts of the homes of the Israelites when they were enslaved in Egypt in order to protect them and have the angel of death pass over them. The actual meaning of this meal was about to be fulfilled prophetically, perfectly, and permanently in Jesus in just a matter of hours. So this dinner is already huge. But also at this dinner, Jesus institutes the holy sacrament of communion. He took bread, he gave thanks for it, he broke it into pieces, and he served each of the disciples a piece. Then he took a cup of wine, and he said, this is the new covenant between God and his people, which is confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you today. He did all of that, and he asked us to do all of that in remembrance of him, which we still do to this day. So this was a big-time historical dinner party, okay? And in addition to that, as if all of that wasn't already enough, let me add some more context for you. You see, up until this point, the disciples had already been walking with Jesus for three and a half years, okay? They were doing life and public ministry together for three and a half years. So these disciples heard a lot and they saw a lot. So at this Last Supper, where we're mere moments away from Jesus being betrayed and arrested... It's at this point in time, it's at this table that the topic of conversation amongst the disciples is this. Let's read it together. Luke 22, verse 24. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. <laughs> what? Oh, man, that is so good. Two things right away. Two things right away. This is shocking levels of dumb. <laughs> shocking. And it's also full confirmation that God is slow to anger. Amen? I mean, you read this too, and you think to yourself, this is so dumb. And yet Jesus is so kind. It makes you thankful to God, right? That God has been slow to anger when we were dumb. Amen? Aren't you grateful that when you're involved in a dumb or inappropriate conversation, God withholds his wrath from you? Oh, so good. You see, the Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The very kindness of God. So it's full of love. It's full of purpose. It's full of intention in and of itself. It's the kindness of God that is a vehicle by which we can repent. It's beautiful. God has been so kind to you. He's been so kind to me, and he's being so kind to the disciples here. And not only kind with his patience, but kind when he interjects into their conversation. Now hear me to serve their continued development because these young men are about to change the world. 
We can't forget that. These young men are about to change the world. So this dinner is critically important. But the disciples, they're not ready yet. They need one last lesson. So let's keep reading. Luke 22, verses 24 through 27. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, In this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And those who, excuse me, I lost my place there. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like the servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. So here, so Jesus does something incredibly powerful here. In his glorious kindness, he doesn't feed into the argument, okay? Instead, he flips the script by redefining greatness, It was something that these disciples needed to hear in order to be free from worldly indoctrination. So Jesus etches this new definition for greatness into their hearts, and it's founded on this one concept right here, servanthood. Servanthood. Why? Because Jesus, the greatest, he came to serve and not be served. He was a servant of us all. And my hope is that this Christmas, that you'll be able to tap into that beauty, the beauty of servanthood with everyone that's around you because Jesus modeled it so well for us. It really is what we're meant for. But before we continue, let me ask you, how would you define greatness? Maybe you would say it's in what you've done or what you or someone has accomplished or achieved. Or maybe you would define it in terms of something that you have. Hey, look what I have. Isn't it so great? But none of that lines up with Jesus' definition of greatness that he's presenting right here. See, what Jesus is really saying is that it's really more about who you know. See, when comparing these kings and great men to the disciples, he said, that stuff, not here. Not here. It will be different among you. It must be different. Because I, the greatest, am among you as the one who serves. So Jesus was saying, looking to me is true greatness. Knowing me is true greatness. Doing what I do is true greatness. And what am I doing? I'm serving you. So hear me, church. To know Jesus and to do as he did will make you great in the eyes of the only one who matters. In his eyes. So you see, the disciples needed to be taught this because their eyes were set on the wrong thing. That's why they were having this argument to begin with. Their focus was off. Their focus was wrong. And sometimes our focus can be wrong too, right? 
So let's take a closer look at this because there's so much here. Oh, man, I can't wait. Actually, I made a handy-dandy list for you. You're welcome. And I've titled it Hindrances to Servanthood. It's got a good ring to it, I thought. And if you would want, if you want to add a little more Christmas flair as you're taking notes, go ahead and draw a holly there in your notes. Or maybe you can retitle it Ho Ho Hindrances to... No, that's not going to work. All right, never mind. Hindrances to Servanthood. Here we go. Focusing on getting credit. Hmm. Focusing on upholding dishonesty. I want to buckle up for that one. And focusing on self-fulfillment. So first up, focusing on getting the credit. And I'm not speaking about financial credit. If you need financial advice, there's a lot of people in this church who have great financial wisdom. It won't be long before you find them. But in this conversation that the disciples are having with Jesus on the eve of the darkest moments of his life. These guys want to know who's going to get the most credit, who's going to be the greatest among them. And for the life of me, you know, I, while I was preparing, I let my imagination drift during this part. And I thought to myself, what on earth could these guys possibly contribute to this topic of conversation? Like, what actually did they say to support their argument that they themselves were the greatest? I mean, like, seriously. So maybe it was like, I don't know. Uh, well, frankly, it's um, my estimation uh, that I am the greatest. Uh, you see, uh, when I welcomed Rabbi Yeshua into my home. I fed him four delicacies made of fresh fruit. Uh, there were two preparations of goat cheese. Uh, there were three entrees with the finest spices in the Judean region. And there was two varieties of wines from the north. And frankly, uh, uh, frankly, uh, none of you have done this. So therefore... Um, I am the greatest. <laughs> Boys, none of you know what you're talking about. Do you see these boulders beneath my shoulders? I am the greatest. Because I am the strongest. None of you can protect him like I can. Also, since we're on the topic, were you there when he was transfigured on the mount? Did you see it? Did you see it? Oh, that's right. No, you didn't. But I did. This is not a conversation, boys. I am the greatest. Now quit hogging the figs and pass them down. Well, I'm so sorry, brothers, to disagree with you, but I am the greatest. Because, as you may recall, at the wedding in Cana, I was the one who unleashed the greatest dance moves in the history of our people. 
Oh. And I saw Rabbi smile from ear to ear. And it was as if time itself had stopped. I am the greatest because I have brought him the most joy. End of conversation. Well, I'm just making light of what they possibly could have said. But this was a serious argument. We have to remember that. This was serious. See, the Bible doesn't tell us what they actually said, but we do know that their argument had nothing to do with Jesus' greatness. It wasn't a debate filled with questions like, Lord Jesus, how do we honor you? How do we further advance your fame because of all the things that we've heard and seen? More and more people need to hear it and see it too. Rabbi, how do we extend your legacy? There was none of that. Instead, they were squabbling for credit to validate their own supposed greatness. So their focus was all wrong. How many of you know of someone who focuses so heavily on getting the credit that it kind of spoils their character in your eyes a little bit? Yeah? Yeah, their work is great, but who they become when someone doesn't notice? Woo! Rough. You see... Jesus told them here in Luke 22, verse 25. In this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Lord what over their people? Their greatness, their achievements, their accolades, their status, their power, their position, their title, their money. You see, they have to get credit for whatever greatness they're projecting. It's really the only way that it kind of works. So there's a negative connotation here. Lording something over someone is not a good thing. So what Jesus aimed to do by pointing out the negative focus these kings and great men had was to say to the disciples, among you, it will be different. It has to be different. Why, church? Because there is only one who is great and deserving of all the credit and all the glory and all the honor, and his name is Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'll say this too. I want you guys to listen carefully to what I'm saying. You know, I know that there is a difference between confidence and greatness. Confidence and greatness are not the same thing. And I'll say it even clearer, okay? Kingdom confidence and worldly greatness are vastly different things. And the difference is posture. You see, kingdom confidence is built on lowly humility. It looks to Jesus instead of looking to self, and it says it's all because of him. In contrast, worldly greatness is built on lofty arrogance. And it looks to self instead of looking to Jesus, and it says, oh, this is all because of me. That's the difference. And Proverbs 27, verse 21, says it well. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. Well, I expect you to praise me. I expect you to honor me and acknowledge me and recognize me. 
Listen, if those kinds of thoughts are swirling around your head, tread carefully. Because biblically speaking, being praised is a fiery test to pass. There are anxieties and burdens there that we're not intended to carry. So let's focus on Christ instead of focusing on getting and maintaining the credit. Amen? All right. Second hindrance to servanthood. Focusing on upholding dishonesty. In verses 25 through 27, there's a nuance in Jesus' teaching here that if we go too quickly, we're going to miss. So we're going to slow down a bit here. So in verse 25, it reads this. Jesus told them, In this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people. We already talked about the negative connotation of lording something over someone else. But look at this language that Jesus uses here. He says, yet, yet, interesting word choice there, yet they are called friends of the people. In other words, even though these great men negatively lord things over the people, they are yet still called friends of the people. He's noting that this negative reality has become acceptable, almost commonplace in culture and possibly in the church. Notice also that there's no footnote here, even though friends of the people is in quotes. Yes, my friends, Jesus used air quotes. (laughs) Now, if you don't know what air quotes are, go and find some preteen And ask them, and they will gladly tell you. You see, you're going to quickly discover that there's a falsehood associated with whatever's inside the air quotes. And so these great men, they really aren't friends of the people and vice versa. There's an ugly cyclical pattern here, and Jesus speaks to the idea of this mutually beneficial loyalty that is cyclical in nature between the kings and great men and the people who call them friends that truthfully is negative at its core. It's toxic. It's dishonest. Yet it remains upheld because there's some twisted benefit for both parties that they have settled into and grown comfortable with. And Jesus' response in verse 26 through 27 is this, but among you, but among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one that sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. The beauty of what Christ accomplishes here in these words could fill volumes of books. He took his powerful, life-giving words and he infiltrated the darkness of our hearts. He broke through by saying, not here. Jesus, the light of the world that we just sang about. He humbly came into the darkness of our lives because he knew there was something valuable within each of us. 
a dead heart that he can awaken to life again. A heart he can set in right standing before God the Father. And what did he do? He spoke honestly to it. Not here, boys. It must be different among you. You see, Jesus, Jesus had been walking with these guys for over three years. They camped out together. They ate together. They traveled together. They performed and witnessed miracles together. They saw the blind see. They saw, uh, they, they, they saw the deaf hear. They saw the mute speak. They saw the lame walk. They saw the demon possessed uh, delivered. And they saw the dead rise and countless scores of people who are sick healed from their infirmities. This was Jesus and his boys hanging out over supper. So Jesus could have just as easily fed into their argument and joined in with them with laughter, all in the name of loyalty, because, you know, that's how boys do when they get together, right? You know, they just laugh at whatever dumb thing the next one says. (laughs) But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that. He chose honesty over loyalty. And hear me, church, that is tough. That's a hard thing to do. That's a narrow is the gate and difficult is the road that leads to life kind of thing. Why is choosing honesty over loyalty a difficult yet necessary thing to do at times. Good question. Let's read it. John chapter 1 verse 14. It says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Full of what? Grace, grace and truth. Jesus came and was full of grace and truth. Sometimes we need grace. And sometimes we need truth. It's just that simple. And what Jesus offers the disciples here in lieu of his loyalty to them is the honest truth. It can't be so amongst you boys. You have to be different. I'm calling you to be different. You see, loyalty has this underbelly to it that can cause you to turn a blind eye or creates this awkwardness that renders you silent, especially when you discern that something is a little off. It causes you to withhold truth, to excuse it away and sweep it under the rug. Let me ask you, is not what's really happening there self-preservation? Listen, Jesus went in, and we're going in. Oh, 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 it's not my place. No, (laughs) no, I can't say anything. No, no, it'll it'll offend them. So, nah, it's okay. It's no big deal. No, it's all good. It's all good. No, I I, I can't ask him to, I can't ask to see his phone. No, it's okay. He's a good guy. Yeah, no, he's good. I love him. Uh, uh, It's no, it's better that I don't say anything. You know, you know, it'll pass. It's fine. They're a good person. We're going to be okay. Those are all excuses to preserve ourselves 
and are also a total disservice to the person that we're speaking about. You see, the dark side of loyalty, it idolizes comfort, security, money, and a fragile, false sense of peace. And Jesus said, amongst you, it must be different. So this final lesson helped these 11 men become world changers. Jesus was honest with them. He chose honesty over loyalty. And what was the result? His truth released a power into them that led them to turn the world upside down. God glorifying beauty that has stretched far and wide and helped countless scores of people throughout the ages find everlasting joy. That was the result of his truth. So let me ask you, what impactful, beautiful, and fruitful world would be created in one of your relationships if you were honest in it? Think about it. What would that look like? Now imagine if you didn't step out to create that in the name of loyalty, what would you get? Very likely what you currently have. So let's follow the way of Jesus, amen? Amen. Parents, your older kids are waiting. Older kids, your parents are waiting. Wife, your husband is waiting. Husband, your wife is waiting. Boss, your employee is waiting. Employee, your boss is waiting. Friend, your friend is waiting. Let's not uphold the dishonesty for much longer simply because both sides of the equation are still kind of benefiting from it. It's duplicitous. It's very unhealthy. So let's find a way in grace and truth. Hear me, church. It's time to rise above patterns like this and be different. And Christmas sounds like a great time to start, right? (laughs) So let's go low. Let's not be self-serving in our relationships. Let's be full of grace. Let's be full of truth. Let's learn how to give truth. And hear me, let's learn how to receive truth. Why? Because honesty is greater than loyalty, just as Jesus demonstrated for us here in this text. God is not a commodity that we can use to legitimize our own selfishness. So let's not uphold dishonesty anymore. Actually, I like the way Mark Batterson says this or speaks to this delicate interpersonal nuance in his book, The Circle Maker. He said... Success is living life with such authentic integrity that those who know you best actually respect you the most. Wow. That's a great and honest metric for all of us to apply to our lives today. All right, one more, last one. You guys still with me? All right. Hindrance to servanthood number three, focusing on self 
fulfillment. Now, for this one, we're going to jump over to the book of John, chapter 3, and check in on our old friend John the baptizer and his disciples, who are also having a conversation about success and greatness, more or less. So in John chapter 3, verse 26 through 28, we read this. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive any, excuse me, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven, given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. So right out of the gate, John reframes the conversation by leaning on what he knows to be true. And as a result, his truthful proclamations are only about to get better. His disciples were like, John, remember that guy that was with you? The one that you bore witness to? Well, everyone, like all the people, um, uh, they're now going to him. Like, what are we going to do? They were kind of instigating him a bit. And John wisely reframed the conversation. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would benefit from reframing a conversation you're having with someone? To pause and remind yourself of truth and reframe the conversation. Sometimes conversations are too emotionally charged. And those can lead to irrational things being said that you're probably going to regret later. Sometimes conversations lack good information and therefore need not continue. Listen, I'm a huge fan, huge fan of the statement that says good information leads to good decisions. Listen, if you're making decisions without good information, like what is even that? <laughs> like seriously, let's take a clue from John. Like, John reframes the conversation and reminds his disciples of the principles that have guided him up to this point by saying, fellas, I told you. I told you I'm not the one. I told you I'm not the Messiah. I told you there's one coming after me that I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. And then his efforts continue and lead him to proclaim this marvelous truth that we all need to hear today. He continued in verses 29 and 30. He said, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. The friend, now he's talking about himself, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Wow. So powerful. You see, at this moment in time, John correctly understood his itinerant ministry as a herald and a forerunner of the Messiah. Yeah, he was wild and he was weird and he ate honey-covered locusts, and he dressed in camel hair, but he was effective. John was effective. 
He faithfully, selflessly, and fearlessly carried out his prophetic duty of preaching repentance, baptizing people, and preparing the way of the Lord's coming by pointing to Jesus. Listen, crowds gather to see this man. Crowds gather to hear John. He even courageously stood against the religious Pharisees of his time and brazenly called them a brood of vipers. John was hardcore. Okay, John was hardcore, and he gained and sustained a lot of traction. It's easy to see that John was highly successful. In fact, in Matthew 11, chapter, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus says this about John. He said, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Powerful words. You see, John was the greatest because of his unique position in history. John was chosen by God to break a 400-plus year era of divine silence that existed since the prophet Malachi. John's ministry, which was prophesied about long before he was even born, was the spirit-filled bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. His preaching signaled the end of the law and the beginning of the promise. He was the last in a long line of Old Testament prophets that predicted the Christ. And he was the greatest because he actually got to see the Christ. John was great. And he was highly successful in fulfilling the call of God on his life. He was the first person to describe Jesus' messianic purpose in this way. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John was major. But as you may or may not know, John in the end, he struggled with great doubt. Maybe what his friends, excuse me, maybe what his friends tried to rile him up with here in John chapter 3, maybe that surfaced later on and caused great doubt to settle into his heart and mind. But that's another story for another time. Here's what we do have right here in his proclamations in John chapter 3. Again, verse 29 through 30. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John was saying, my joy, my purpose, my life is fulfilled in hearing his voice. In hearing and obeying his voice, I am complete. He was saying that my peace doesn't come from my position. My joy doesn't come from my title. My confidence doesn't come from your comparisons nor your compliments. It's in, it's in his voice. All of that comes from Jesus' voice. That's fulfillment. So listen, church, until Jesus' voice is enough for you, 
you will always continue to strive, wander about, and look for satisfaction in things. You will seek fulfillment in things that will never fulfill. Question, what did Jesus' voice say to us and his disciples back at the Last Supper in Luke 22? It must be different among you. His voice is the life source we all need, and it's what leads us to true greatness that he so beautifully modeled and called us to emulate. You see, we often overlook that Jesus' life was mostly hidden for 30 years in preparation for these three and a half years of public ministry. And in today's culture, it's the complete opposite. It's give me a uh, three and a half minute tutorial slash preparation for, I don't know, 30 plus years of famous, healthy, wealthy living. That's the world that we live in today. And we all know that one of the worst things you can do to someone is to give them a platform before their character is ready to stand on it. Hear me, parents. These platforms that are available to your kids, some of you are giving it way too early. Use wisdom. Pray. Have honest conversations. Don't be the parent that discovers their account later on and is fully embarrassed by what they put out there. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. So my honor, your honor, my joy, your joy, my fulfillment, your fulfillment. It doesn't come from anything that we do ourselves. It comes from his voice alone and living as he did. That's true fulfillment. This is what he was saying and exemplifying at the Last Supper back in Luke 22. If you ask me, what a precious Christmas gift it was. And I pray that you receive it today. Many of us, especially at this time of the year, we get so caught up in the rat race of life, seeking validity and affirmation in all the wrong places. We want to receive gifts from certain people. We want to give gifts to certain people. We want to be invited to certain parties, this party, that party. Yeah, we want to hang out with those folks and maybe that person. And listen, if for some reason that doesn't line up for you the way you prefer, you get hurt. And what does that say we're living for? I'll tell you, something not so great. Here's what we're supposed to be living for. Hearing his voice and doing as he did. Jesus flipped the script He spoke truth to the disciples on what true greatness really is, and he demonstrated it to them and to us by serving us all. So his voice, his service. These are the two things that we live for, and we continue living for it until we hear his voice say once again, well done, my good and faithful 
servant. What? Servant. Not dad, doctor, IT guy, firefighter, nurse, police officer, stay-at-home mom, construction worker, not pastor, not apostle, not prophet, not teacher, not evangelist, none of that. It's well done, good and faithful servant. And until then, we busy ourselves with kingdom advancements, spreading Christmas cheer through our eager anticipation of the Lord's return by valuing his voice, yes, and the service that he modeled for us to emulate. That's it. Because we're not building to our name. We're not building to our own greatness or fame or credit or brand. We are a people of 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, which says, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's it. We live as Jesus did by treasuring his voice and obeying what he says. Jesus revolutionized the lives of the disciples in this conversation and made a way for them to change the world. They changed the world. And likewise, we're building a, a gospel community here that aims to serve the transformation of people's lives to the glory of Christ. And we're going to get after it. We're getting after it. Just like Jesus set out to transform the lives of the disciples here at the table. So Jesus is the guest of honor at our table. Not me, not you, Jesus. And he sits at the head of our table. And we fix our eyes on him. And we cherish his voice. And we heed his call to serve just as he served. Why? Because Jesus is the greatest servant to ever walk the earth. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, we bow before you, Lord. And we declare, you have served us so well. We are unworthy of your love. We are so grateful, mighty King, that you made a way for us where there wasn't a way. You exemplify for us the high call that you have for us. You spoke words of truth and released power into our lives, and you grace us to walk in them. Oh, Jesus, we honor you. We declare that you are the best. We love you. We look to you. We thank you for what you're doing here in our midst. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And I'm thankful today that you're with us for a specific reason and a specific purpose. Not only to bring us into right relationship with you, but for us to also go out in your name to serve our families, to serve our neighbors, to serve our communities, to serve our places of work so that you can be glorified so that people's lives can be touched by the very presence of God because you're pursuing them too. 
We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for how you served us. And we, by faith, declare as a people that we cherish them both so greatly. Be magnified and be glorified, Lord. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to take a moment to pray for some of you. Go ahead and bow your heads. I want to give time for the Spirit of the Lord to move in this place. First, I want to pray for those of you who have been challenged in this call to servanthood. If you have been focused on the wrong things, if you have been upholding dishonesty in your relationships because it's just easier to do that, or if you've heavily focused on you making it happen. If any of that resonates with you, I want to invite you to the altar of the Lord right where you're seated. And I want to lead you in a prayer of acknowledging our faults, our missteps, our bad choices, and asking the Lord to cleanse us of that so we can be different. So if that's you, go ahead and raise your hand and I'll acknowledge it. Yes, I see your hands. Yes, okay, hands all over the place. Bless you, Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. Believers, pray with me. I'm gonna lead. Um, actually, I'm just gonna pray for those of you who raise your hand. So if you agree with my prayer, just say a hearty amen from the depths of your soul when I finish. Lord, we come to you thanking you first for the sweet conviction of your Holy Spirit. Lord, your word says that you prune those whom you love so that we can bear more fruit for you. So we thank you that your conviction is actually a sign of your great love for us. You're saying to us that you don't want to leave us as we are. You want to make us better. You want to mold us and shape us into the likeness of your son, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, we say thank you. And so now we come before your throne, Lord. We acknowledge our faults. We acknowledge our mistakes. We acknowledge our wrongdoings. And we ask, Jesus, that you would forgive us. Lord, we don't want to be like the world. We want to be different, just like you called the disciples to be different. And so now we rise confidently in you from this altar, and we say thank you for cleansing us of our unrighteousness. Thank you for speaking truth to us, and thank you for giving us grace now to go out and be different. We bless you, Lord. We say thank you, mighty God. If you agree with that, say a big amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, believers, please continue to pray. I want to give an opportunity for those of you who are sitting here and you don't know the voice that John treasured so highly. Maybe you've rejected this voice. Maybe you've walked away from this voice.
with every head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, believers praying. If you're watching online, if this is you, I want to invite you to know the voice that fulfills like nothing else in life. His voice is what you were created for. So if you're sitting here in this place and you want to know the voice of Jesus, go ahead and raise your hand. And I want to pray for you. I see your hand. Bless you, sir. Hallelujah. I see your hand, sir. Bless you. I see your hand in the back, sir. Bless you. Anyone else? This is a great time of the year to start. All right, so these gentlemen that have raised their hand, I want to invite you to repeat after me. And the whole congregation, as a display of their excitement for you in making this decision today, they're going to say these words along with us. So gentlemen, repeat after me. God, I am a sinner. And you are holy. I understand that because I am a sinner, I cannot enter your presence. But today, I've heard a truth that has awakened faith in me. Jesus has made a way where there wasn't a way. And so Jesus, I acknowledge you. I confess you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I humbly receive you now. And I say thank you for this gift of eternal life to enjoy your presence every day of my life. I love you, Lord. I say thank you. I cherish your voice. And I ask that you would lead me every day in what you have for me. I bless you now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, church. Give it up for the saving work of our Lord and Savior. So good. Hey, real fast before I hand it off to my man, Pastor Ron, for those of you who responded to the gospel, there's some information there on the screen. We want you to connect with us because we want you to know that this decision that we celebrate with you in making today, it's not for you to become an island unto yourself. We want to walk alongside you. We want to resource you in your brand new relationship with Jesus Christ. So take the time, take a moment to contact the information on the screen, and we will be in touch and help you along the way. We love you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.